0: Welcome to the Human Design Collective podcast, where we explore this system as a map of our unique potential, from the mundane to the mystical. If you'd like to dive deeper into your design, we invite you to our Living Your Design workshop, offered in a weekend-intensive or eight-week format in May 2022, with recorded material available upon registration. Rave Cartography begins in July 2022. For more information, go to courses.humandesigncollective.com. Today we are speaking with Rebecca Crane, a psychological astrologer with over two decades of counseling experience, including work in the mental health system in the U.S., as well as the therapeutic use of plant medicines. She's in her fifth year of her human design experiment and studies, and is developing personalized tools to assist others with the integration of awakening experiences into daily life. As a 4-6 emotional manifester on the cross of the Maya, Rebecca shares her perspective on the intersection of transpersonal psychology with astrology and human design exploring the importance of integration and support in the deconditioning process. During these complex and mutative times, Rebecca has initiated a process of radically simplifying her life and guiding others to do the same. She now lives in coastal Costa Rica, where she continues to provide ongoing support for her clients in living as their true selves. We hope you enjoy the conversation.
1: Well, thanks for coming on the podcast today, Rebecca. We've been wanting to have you on for a while and we were finally able to meet and great to have you here.
2: Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here.
1: We wanted to start by just learning a little bit about your path and a little bit about your story. How did you get to this point?
2: Well, I discovered astrology. Gosh, I guess it was 1996. I was taking a break from college and soul searching and I got um, a book where you could cast your own charts and I just started doing the charts of everyone around me and I saw how beautifully the system worked. So I started getting more books and then went to some conferences and really felt like I found my people. What I wanted to do with astrology right away was merge it with psychology because I was going back to school for psychology and seeing what a beautiful healing modality Astrology was because it could kind of cut short the time we spend in talk therapy. We can look at the archetypes alive in people's lives and then be able to apply, you know, whatever behavioral issues they're going through or um, life circumstances and really get to the meat of the issues right away. So I went back to school for psychology. I went to a school called JFK University which is no longer in existence, unfortunately, but I was able to get a master's in transpersonal counseling psychology and uh, they allowed me to do a lot of astrology in my research. And it was a really beautiful program So I just decided that this was my path and something I wanted to do more of, but I was finding myself in the mental health and social services systems in the United States as well and feeling like, oh, I really want to step into this astrology thing full time. But looking back, I was really grateful to get that experience working with individuals and couples and groups and working in the system and having a lot of empathy and compassion for what people really are going through. So yeah. And then a couple of years ago, I decided to move to Costa Rica and, and level up with this as astrology is, is making some kind of comeback here. So it's been really interesting. We definitely want to hear more about that
0: transition because I think that's a big move and probably something that a lot of people are thinking about or looking at, especially given all the, the current events. But before we go there, I'm wondering if you can just explain for people who may not know what transpersonal psychology is how that's a little bit different than sort of standard counseling psychology?
2: Yeah, transpersonal counseling psychology really refers to the shared energetic space between the client and the therapist. So it encompasses a wide variety of modalities and approaches, but primarily a lot of our practicums were noticing how we felt in our bodies when sitting with a client and understanding that we are you know, sharing auras, right? And what are we picking up on and really trained us to be very aware of the subtleties going on and um, the consciousness, you know, opening up the heart field. You know, this was 2002. A lot of this was considered a little bit new agey, right, (laughs) back then. But um, the program consisted of things like a vision quest and Chinese medicine and yoga and these other pieces that um, exposed us all to different modalities that were just outside the regular intellectual talk therapy. So it was an amazing program. I wish I could go back and do it again, honestly.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it's an aspect of psychology that's really acknowledging that there are these sort of unseen forces that we are all experiencing and or transmitting to each other in some way. It seems to acknowledge something beyond just the sort of discrete individuals behaving in different ways. It's probably like you said more popular now than it was, you know, 20 years ago. Can you say something about the advantages and potential challenges of having a therapeutic relationship where you're also using
2: something like astrology or human design? Yes, this is an important topic too, as a lot of the training was still in my, my undergraduate was in traditional uh, psychology and most talk therapies are based in that. The success of that depends a lot on the alliance between the therapist and client. It creates a safe container and trust in order to unpack psychic material that needs to be unpacked. And so what happens when you bring a system like astrology or human design in, you have this third factor influencing that therapeutic relationship. And it's something we would call triangulation, right? I can triangulate with the chart when maybe there's some tension in the room that, you know, the client would be better served to sit with and process, right? But we can uh, diffuse tension with it. We can also help people lower their defenses with it right? Oh, here's my chart. It's something to deflect to momentarily. Um, other examples of triangulation are things like medication. When you have a client on medication, that's a third thing coming in. Someone who has an addiction where you have the substance, it's like a presence in the room. Or is a person that's very close to the client, it's very difficult to not have them in the room as well because they're so um, connected to the person's psyche and their life um, in general. Yeah. So when is it helpful to deflect to the chart and when would it be more therapeutic for a client to sit with whatever emotional material the discussion has brought up? You know, that's something that I've encountered several times. Also, you know, traditional therapy typically follows this stage of, you know, you commit to therapy, you have a process, there's some change that happens, and then there's a termination. This is for like ongoing sessions. It takes time to engage in each level of those stages. And so we we come up against the idea of the one-time session versus the ongoing. I would love to be working with more people on an ongoing basis. And I, I have, and I currently do. But what's so interesting about that is we can go deeper each time into the chart. And it is kind of like a fractal or hologram where there's like even more richness and deep um, in the awareness that we can cultivate around the chart or um, how we experience the chart. So yeah, it's an interesting thing and it's something to be played with. I remember um, in my traditional program, they were not fans of astrology. Uh, I was basically told that I was going to fail if I pursued that uh, path, uh, which made me, of course, want to do it even more individual manifester that I am. So <laughs> don't tell me what to do. So it's <laughs> a way to get me to do it. But yeah, it's funny about, you know, how we're helping people with these systems. There's a lot of, a lot of factors that come into about how we're actually helping people. We're exposing these truths to people um, and then sending them back into those old environments. I and mean, what kind of support are they getting? So that's why I'm a big fan of the ongoing sessions.
0: You had mentioned something in a prior conversation about the kind of psychological concept of the false self and the human design concept of the not self and it seems like through these therapeutic relationships and maybe through some intervention like like a chart or plant medicine or a substance that people seem to be able to get in touch with something can you say a bit about that sort of process of coming in contact with the false self or the not self
2: Sure. Yeah. Well, typically people are walking around not aware that their false self is false, right? They're thinking this is how it works and who I am. You know, human design, astrology, plant medicine, uh, vipassana, there's several of these modalities that can stimulate an experience of increased awareness. And when people are confronted with that, it's often like, wow, I see that the way I've been functioning or my habit patterns or my beliefs haven't been serving me." and here's the root of the issues that have come up in my life is that i've been believing that that false self is who i am and and uh, donald winnicott psychologist in the 40s would talk about the false self as this construct that gets created when the, the parenting is not quite acknowledging the truth of the child and he also talked about what they call the good enough mother and the good enough mother is someone who shows up enough you know but it's still Uh, to allow that true self to develop somewhat, but is still showing that child that she's human, he or she is human, because that gives the child a more realistic perception of humans in general, right? They grow up not expecting perfection out of everyone. So it's really an ideal thing to be this good enough parent in order to allow the child to develop uh, a balance between, okay, I know that sometimes I have to be a certain way to get around in the world, and I also feel acknowledged and cared for and that my needs and desires are heard and seen and validated. So oftentimes when they're not heard and seen and validated, the child unconsciously starts behaving in ways to try to get that reaction from the parent, right? And so there's this something that develops of the false self, which is the conditioned self, really. Because you're acting in ways that you believe that you need to right? or that you've been influenced to that are not necessarily authentic.
1: It seems that when we're looking at a astrological birth chart or human design body graph, we're essentially being given a map that we can use to navigate those spaces to see certain characteristics or traits that are consistent, that kind of define us, make us what we are in this life and how our energy is designed to, to work or move through the world. And these are the areas that we're most susceptible to conditioning or influence, where we've probably taken in some pretty deep conditioning. And then there's this deconditioning process that can come out of that, where there's kind of a realignment or movement back to a more authentic way of being in the world. And to me, that seems like kind of a shortcut in a therapeutic context, like to really get down to some of the fundamental issues that this person may be working with.
2: Absolutely. And it's wonderful to be able to start to unravel some of that in a session, but what is the ongoing support that people are getting in order to continue with that process? It would be devastating to the psyche and the ego to, you know, the personality construct to wake up to that all at once and then um, not be able to go back or to have time to process it therapeutically, you want to leave the client with a solid sense of ego or cohesive personality that's effective in the world, right? At the end of the session. And so sometimes when I do one-time sessions with people, I think, oh, have I opened up a can of worms here that I uh, maybe should follow up with people about? And it's the same thing with the plant medicine, you know, being able to provide some support for people um, after, you know, some integration support is something that I'm highly interested in as well. Having done several ceremonies myself and thinking, wow, I wish this is the kind of support that I had. What would I provide for myself? It's a very rich topic, deconditioning, and it takes seven years in the human design system, but we can start with strategy and authority. Then what, what is next? You know, how do we support people emotionally with that process of shifting those habit patterns. Oftentimes in my work, I've seen it just watching yourself do the old habit patterns for a while, even if you're aware that this is not what you want to be doing. Um, having someone witness that and support where you're at, you know, with not non-judgmental, detached attitude as part of the practice, but it takes time.
1: Yeah, and it's often a process of letting go, surrendering, dropping certain points of reference that you maybe you're maintaining in the world certain patterns of behavior i'm glad you brought up the plant medicine parallel because you can't just go i mean you can people do but to go and just drink three nights of ayahuasca and then send someone back into the world after a pretty intense and potentially deconstructive experience and say go back to your day job go back to your family go back to whatever it's not so easy you know, you need a little bit of handholding or another point of reference to put in place as you go through that process.
0: There are a lot of things out there, and it's probably more, you know, about as popular now as it's ever been <laughs> to be focused on this concept of raising our consciousness or transforming our awareness or waking up. But I think what you're both talking about is that there are consequences to that. So there's the moment where you have the plant medicine experience or where you come to some kind of discovery or realization through really seeing your chart for the first time or really understanding aspects of your nature for the first time. But then there's the unfolding of your life from there and the consequences of that. So I know you've been through a pretty big transformative process the last few years. And I imagine some of that has to do with this, you know, realizations that you've come to personally, and then the consequences of those realizations. Can you share a bit about your process with deconditioning and both like on the personal level? And I think it's also something you've really gone through on a pretty collective level.
2: Yeah, happy to. I really got into human design more in 2017 and at the same time did two very impactful Iboga sessions. I think the combination of those two things really set me on a intense trajectory of deconditioning. You know, I had always been working on myself and trying different modalities and I really like to try a lot of different modalities so I can maybe have them as resources to refer people to or just see what I think, be able to recommend them. Um, But I also wanted to see, well, what works best for myself? And I would say that combination in 2017, 2018 impacted me hugely to where I pretty much checked out of the society and culture I had been living in, in the United States. I was living in Portland, Oregon. I was working as a behavioral consultant for kids with disabilities, autism, teaching classes to people who provided direct support to those individuals. And I was enjoying that work, but I also... Really woke up to how it separated my body from nature, really is what the aboga was yelling at me. You cannot be separate from nature. You are not. You are of the earth. And I'd always felt this way. But this really turned the volume up in a way that I couldn't ignore. You know, I was in the middle of maintaining this big house and renting rooms out of Airbnb and working a lot to pay for it. And I just thought, yep, this is not the life for me. You know, I pretended to do this and all these years, you know, I would step in and step out. You know, there were times where I went and I lived in Sedona, Arizona for a couple of years and kind of went back into the system. And. Um, this was the final straw for me in 2018. I knew that for some reason, Costa Rica was calling me. The main draw was a warm ocean to swim in. I knew that environmentally, you know, I'm natural shores and I knew that being at a beach was always a fun time for me, but is that really where I was meant to live? So I took a trip down in February of 2019 and was like, yep, this is it. This is where I need to be. A couple months later, I came down and I spent um, about four months in a work exchange program at a retreat center called Pachamama, which was very interesting. And I really wanted to work with people in retreat centers because people making the commitment to immerse themselves in an experience like that are seeking truth. They're seeking waking up. And that's what I was seeking. I love working with people like that. And so then the pandemic happened. And so I I found myself in a little town called Samara here and very lovely little community that just kind of opened up people interested in astrology. You know, I do a little house sitting, you know, I take care of animals and um, it's a much lower lifestyle and my body, I mean, the yoga, the swimming, the biking, The warm weather in general has just had such a positive effect on my entire consciousness and my well-being. So it definitely was the right move for me, but I had put all my stuff in storage in Portland, Oregon, and it sat there all through the pandemic and... (laughs) I thought, oh, any money I could have made selling that stuff, I went paid for the storage during that time. So there was a little bit of a processing with that um, that I did back in September to finally release myself from all that. And I found it much easier to let go of those things than maybe it would have been two years ago. But that's also part of the process is letting go decluttering and downsizing and you know, not having things weighing me down anymore. My vibration was rising because I was spending more time in nature. I was doing what I felt was correct for my vehicle, right, for my body, Mm -hmm. for my um, design. And gosh, it just seemed to work the more that I followed, you know, the recommendations here and here I am. And I'm hoping to work with more people who uh, would like to do this themselves. It wasn't as difficult as I thought it would be once I'm on the other side of it, it was like, oh, why didn't I do this 10 years ago? It's been challenging at times. You know, my Spanish is getting better. Um, It is, can be very noisy here. Uh, There's other things that are difficult, but it's all worth it to me. It's just different problems than I'd have up North. So.
0: (laughs) I really like what you're highlighting. We can have these kind of moments of realization, like you're talking about, like having that moment where you just see, I've got to be closer to nature, or I can't maintain th- this material setup. So we have those moments where we see the truth, right? Or we, we see how things actually are a deeper truth for ourselves. But then you are describing a whole process where it takes time to then have our material lives catch up with the truth that we come to realize. Now that you've gone through a process like this, What is it you see as being most beneficial or needed for other people who are going through this kind of a deconditioning, reintegration, sort of rearrangement of life process? What do you see as most beneficial for people in that?
2: Well, I think that it probably depends very much on the individual, but in general, the, the issues that um, I work on with people are, again, that detachment from the programming, from the conditioning. You know, once we're aware of it, we might have to sit with it for a while and not have it change. So there's an element of uh, self-acceptance and self-love that has to come in. I would say also a big piece is simplifying your life because that makes, it it helps clarify some of the chaos that gets blown up when who you thought you were you know, there's it a bit of an explosion there that happens. It's not this like gentle easing into your real self. It's like, we have so heavily built, constructed these buildings, if you will, around who we think we are. So there is a bit of a demolition process involved. You know, I think coaching people to be really gentle with themselves, compassionate, but again, life simplification. Uh, resource management, decluttering, downsizing, all of that helps simplify things to where there's not so much to process and think about. To have the time and space to be able to let yourself unravel, you know, and not have to show up or work 60 hours a week anymore. You know, if you need less, you don't need to work as much. That's uh, one of the other reasons that I came here. And I think also sitting with the unknown, sitting with ambiguity something that humans have a very difficult time with I've noticed and to allow the cycles of life you know we've been so conditioned as a society to be pushing forward all the time to achieve and to be performing and producing all the time and that's just not how nature works you know we see that there's a, a cycle of death and rebirth so Yeah, making space for all those things, but even just organizing your personal possessions where you don't have to think so much about, you know, managing them or cleaning them or, you know, that was such a huge liberation for me with stuff. It also helps raise your vibration more when you don't have all that to manage and deal with. And yeah, just present moment focus is another thing, you know, getting people back to the now, you know, we're so used to planning and taking care of the things that we created in the past that we didn't realize there'd be consequences about. It's like, okay, when we can reduce the anxiety around both of those things and stay present in the moment, there is this ease of flow that happens now. I'm not sure what's happening on this planet, but it's clear that things are changing. And when I refer to things, there's some kind of energetic shift, and maybe it's as we approach twenty twenty seven and there's several you know different ways of thinking about it. but I think it's requiring you know all of us to shift our thinking about how we achieve things or how we what success is. How are we leveling up to transition along with the planet? And what would that mean to step into the life that you really belong in, that's really correct for you to raise your vibration to meet the true self? I think that that is a process, you know, like what does loving yourself really look like? Being intentional with your time, reassessing your priorities. I mean, I think these are all really good subjects for people to be focused on in the deconditioning process. And some of the things that I am very happy to be able to help people with
1: it's really nice to hear you more or less keynoting your design as a uh, four 4'6
2: oh, <laughs> <role am I? laughs> model on the Cross oh. of Maya.
1: And that transition that you're describing, that was your Uranus opposition, right? Yes, it was. Right. Exactly. So you're on the other side of the Uranus opposition. And I think it's also interesting just to kind of note for the listeners that Rebecca is a 2551. So she's got the channel of initiation. And One of the things about that part of the design is that there's this capacity to leap into the void, to deal with shock. It's usually the 2551 who gets the first shock, and then they can be an empowering influence on others as they go through that process, as they go through their own journey back to themselves or to a more authentic, aligned way of being in the world.
2: Yes, I really love helping people with self-empowerment, claiming that. You know, because life does pu- pull some difficult things on us sometimes. And I think us twenty-five, fifty ones 50 are very familiar with that. But that whole idea of, you know, who am I becoming in the face of this shock, right? And how do I make that useful and transmit it back to the tribe? Being able to understand that I'm also almost going forth and experiencing these things that set the tone for others to do it. Yeah, it's really been been fascinating. I've leaped out several times in my life. Oh, I'm gonna drive cross country now. And no, I'm just gonna pack up everything like I'm fleeing a natural disaster and just <laughs> take whatever I grab as a as a test. It's fun. Well, let's see what's really important to me, you know, it's like a values clarification exercise. So <laughs> Yeah. I mean,
0: it seems like that's the magic of that connection, that connection from the the ego to the G center. I think the thing about the 2551 that's always so beautiful to me is it shows us that certain shocks and challenges and initiations we go through can actually reveal to us the truth of who we are on a deeper level and also the strength of the spirit within us to be able to go through these kind of shocking and initiatory experiences and come out the other side and find out Not only did I survive it, you know, not only am I okay, I'm still here, but also I found out more about who I am and what I love and what I value and what matters. And then you guys are the ones that. For any of you out there if you're going to go through a harrowing or shocking experience you want a 2551 <laughs> around to hold <laughs> hold their hand and be like am i gonna be okay <laughs> is this is gonna be all right <laughs> you sur- okay you survived it okay it's possible no right
2: we yeah. model that for people on
0: some level it's a very powerful frequency i mean i don't think it's any surprise that ra said you know he, he never would have survived. The shocking experience he went through if he hadn't had that channel, I think part of that being able to leap into the void is actually a demonstration for the rest of us that that mm. it's possible and that there's something on the other side of it and it's really really powerful
2: yeah the authenticity of who you are the truth of who you are I mean that's a motivator to me why you wouldn't want to know that or wouldn't want to experience that and yeah it's it's worth it I believe you know the process it takes to get there and that 2551 being first, the me first thing, it very much is for me about this. I have to do this for me. Nobody can tell me, I mean, even as a manifester, nobody can tell me what to do, but to have that coming in as advice or maybe you should try this. Once I get very clear about what I have to do for myself, that has to come first. There's no right. negotiating it. Yeah. Um, sometimes it, it's isolated me a little bit. I do have several individual channels in my chart and which also contribute to that, I guess, but I feel it's been worth it.
0: Yeah. It's, a, it's such a particular orientation, I think, in any design when there's a lot of individuality that it puts the nature in a position to value truth almost over everything else. It's not even like that's necessarily good or bad or right or wrong. It's just the way it is that you, you, if you've got a highly individual design, you're probably going to find that you end up potentially sacrificing or letting go of a lot that seems normal on a material or relationship level in order to live out the truth. And that's just what we're tasked with as individuals. But I think it, it can also be really helpful if you know that about yourself, and then you can see that there might be other people in your life who don't have that priority or that orientation to life. If that's the case, then it can help us to understand, oh, well, truth is my number one priority. I can't help it. <laughs> that's, the, yeah. that's the way it is for me. Whereas for this other person, a sense of security or comfort is a greater priority. And that's just the different varieties of human beings that we are. So- it's helpful though to know if you are an individual or if you are someone out, th- out there who is going through some of these processes of waking up to what really matters to you and then realizing there are things in your life that might need to rearrange or change. It can be helpful to have an ally, have a friend, have a have a support, have somebody who can look in your eyes and be like, it's okay, I get it, it's, it's yeah. hard, but you can do it and that's something really, really valuable, I think, about the work you're doing.
2: Thank you. Yes. And that's exactly what I feel is needed out there. And with the, so many people also pursuing truth now, and but in the form of the plant medicine, you know, I'm seeing there's a lot of people doing ceremonies without the proper support afterwards. And it's a very similar thing. You're shown on some level, piece that needs more further unpacking or exploring. So then how do you go about doing that? It really helps to have someone to maybe support and have some idea of what you're going through, you know. And I've been through several ayahuasca sessions myself on top of the aboga and having that understanding of what can go down in those sessions, the absolute experience of losing yourself or ego death, you know, can be really terrifying for people. So to be able to, to yeah, provide that and to be a witness and to be a support to encourage people to get out of their own way, you know, and that's a lot of what conditioning has, is. That we get in our own ways, ways that we think that we are, right? Our conditioned patterns and beliefs, we think that's who we are. So we think that we're being authentic to ourselves by following that. But when all of that starts to disintegrate or at least be questioned, I find one of the most difficult things people come up against is, well, who am I without my problems, right? We used to joke about that In school, when we were going through our own therapies, it's like, what kind of construct do I have around who I am if I don't identify with the neuroses in my life, right? Mm -hmm. My attachments and what I need and what I want control over and um, how I I think that I am in the world and how I perceive others perceive me. It's another piece that comes up. It's what we think people think of us is such a, a motivator. And especially with this, you know, collective, the pressure, the peer pressure, you know, that happens. We're seeing this all over the world right now um, to be able to step out of that and do what's authentically true for you. People don't realize how, you know, primally motivated they are to fit in. You know, it's a primary motivator, you know. There was some research done where they asked people, what is your primary fear? Number one fear, like your own Family Feud survey says, number one fear, a lot of people say death. Well, death is actually number two. Number one is public speaking. And the reason for that is putting yourself at risk, getting up there and being potentially rejected, ostracized, right, is scarier to our brains, to our primal survival brains than death. It's like being ostracized from the tribe in primal cultures, right? Good luck out there. Death would have been better. So, you know, we would have fit in. This is such a obstacle to deconditioning and becoming the individual truth of who you are because it's so, you know, entrenched in us.
1: Yeah, it's interesting how a lot of people, when they come into systems like human design and astrology or other metaphysical systems that there's this kind of idea that, okay, I can use this system or tool to get what I want or to be happier or to make more money or to somehow game the system in a way. What I see happening more often is that it's a deconstruction project. We don't know where we're going to be, what the results of our experiment is. Whether we're going in, we're doing a lot of work with a plant medicine, or we're going deep into the human design experiment, oftentimes it results in a type of falling apart, a letting go, as we were kind of talking about earlier. And that's scary. That's the scaffolding. These are our points of reference. And Amy, you said it's like, it'd be nice to have, you know, a hand to hold or uh, someone who's gone through it before and can kind of catalyze a new process you know as you come back to yourself, initiate a new process of growth or a more authentic way of being in the world. And you've got that design. I think it's a big part of what you're here to do.
2: Yeah, that's great. I think it is, And I really enjoy it. And I think it depends on the the person what they need. and I feel like I have a, a good sense of working with people meeting them where they're at, you know, and never push people more than they're ready for. and it's part of that therapeutic training has been so helpful with that. Um, and being able to be clear with my words and the non judgment and be able to um, hold people with respect, you know, whatever they're going through. It's such an interesting process when you even dare to look at who you really are. Gosh, I just want to cheer everybody on, you know, and, and support them however I can. And, um, I do think that more and more people are going to want to do this in the future because I I think that the old ways propping up the, those false realities um, they're just we're we're just not going to be able to get away with that much longer is my feeling and I'm not quite sure why I'm saying that maybe it's 2027 approaching but I think it's going to be a little more difficult.
0: I think you're also highlighting something about one of the gifts of an open sacral center, you know, so for all three of us, mm-hmm. we're all non-sacral beings in terms of design. And there's a, a lot of the conditioning of the sacral center, the unhealthy conditioning of it in, in our world is more, 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 more productivity, more stuff, more, you know, goodies, more money, more everything as if unlimited, never-ending growth is something to strive for and Mm -hmm. i I think one of the things it seems to me like you probably bring as a manifester as well is a healthy sense of it's okay to stop (laughs) you know like (laughs) more is not better and it's not necessarily better i think that's one of the healthy deconditioning processes that's happening on a bigger scale and I think that's what you're, you're kind of pointing to and saying, I don't know how long this can go on. And, you know, I think even the midlife process, you know, like going through the Uranus opposition or some of these major cycle transits that we go through, I think those are often also processes that show us that they sort of confront us with, hey, are you going to be able to maintain and continue this way of life that you've got going on and how close is it to what is actually true and natural for you? And is something going to need a shift here or or what? What's going to happen?
2: Yeah. And it's amazing to watch with how popular human design is getting Mm -hmm. as well, to be able to say to people, look, you, you have a map here, an energetic map that's correct for you. And to have that now, I mean, what a huge gift to have some kind of map to go on it's just so validating to say, you know, I'm not one of the workhorses of the world. You know, I'm not here to churn out and, and produce constantly to use up all that sacral energy, um, which has been challenging working in groups sometimes, you know, where the expectation or the conditioned expectation is, well, we all need to put the work and we all need to chip in And have everybody do an equal amount of work in order to have this thing go well. But then you have people living against their design and not able to sustain it. Mm -hmm. And then burning out and wondering what's wrong with them. And yeah, it's just, that's what I feel has to stop. You know, is people not living in a way that's, that's energetically correct for them.
0: And it's not sustainable. And eventually the body, and I think this is what a lot of us who once we start to get toward our 40s and 50s, it becomes really clear. Body starts to talk back to say, I can't live like this.
2: I think secretly people want relief from that. People are looking for relief from that. And they don't even know that's what it is, but they just know that they cannot continue in the way they've been going. And actually, the pandemic and the lockdowns and things have been really uh, beneficial for this self-exploration process, where people have had to take a a pause and and really think about what it works for them. You know, reevaluate their um, lifestyles, you know, and clarify their values. So I'm really interested in working with people who are just on the edge of that kind of. Well, I know that I need to change, but I'm not quite sure how. Um, these systems are so great for giving that map, you know, and there's like several other things that can help along with like the plant medicine and energy work, meditation and nutrition, you know, the nutrition and lifestyle piece is essential to be able to support the psychic growth and change. Yeah. Just balancing all all parts of, of life. It, it can be challenging part of the work and I, it, it is worth it. I believe. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, we've been talking a bit of just about the challenges and the deconstruction project and embracing the not knowing and unknown, but there's something really nice on the other side of it when we're able to snap into or click into our correct role, our correct way of being in the world and kind of relax into that. There's this sense of greater alignment, ease, like you're saying, it's worth it. And there is something on the other side. It's scary to make that leap. It's scary to jump sometimes. And it can be nice to have a point of reference or someone there. But there is the potential to be in the world in a state of greater alignment with oneself, one's nature.
2: Yeah, it's surprising what comes in when you make room for it. You know, a lot of this is making room for what wants to naturally evolve. Right. Right. But we have these scaffolds and these ideas keeping us, well, this is how I do things. Like, okay. But if we start to loosen around some of that, it is scary at first, but it's so sometimes shocking to see what comes in of, oh, wow, I never thought that I was capable of that. Or I never thought that I would be interested in that. You know, I never made room in my day to explore that, but here I am, you know. So sometimes we have to kind of go back to, Being a child, the child-like wonder and the innocence, more of ground zero with like, I have to try a bunch of things now with my new self before I know what I like to do. You know, when you're a kid, your parents are like, okay, you're going to try gymnastics. No, you don't like that. Okay. How about soccer? Okay. You don't like that. How about dancing? No, you don't. Well, okay. You don't have to just take a no thank you bite. You can take one bite. If you don't like it, you don't have to take any more, right? But I encourage people to do that.
1: Yeah. And a lot of it comes back to this process, I think, of surrender, of just letting go. And what you were just sharing a moment ago just brought up something in me and my experience where I had been kind of um, stubbornly in a very egoic way, holding on and kind of hammering on something, which was the equivalent of just like kind of hitting my head against the wall. You know, i yeah. just like, you know, I'm just going to keep hitting my head against the wall, figuratively speaking, and maybe it's going to, something's going to be different or something's going to change. And the point that I got to was just stop, just stop slamming your head against the wall and see what naturally wants to emerge. See what naturally wants to happen. If you just let go and stop doing the thing that you keep doing, I'm cross of the unexpected and... There's an unexpected element to it. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where it's going to lead, but I knew that I couldn't keep slamming my head against the wall. So I know it's kind, of a, it's kind of a ridiculous you know analogy, but it's often like that, you know, and it's what is it? It's usually the mind and its incessant need to know or to be certain or maintain some sense of, of control through the intellect or the way we're thinking about things. And oftentimes it's just like, just stop just drop it and see what happens.
2: Yeah. And we have no idea what that energy redirected or allowed to express in its own natural way, what that can bring. Yeah. It is about getting out of your own way. Again, back to that. And what, what did they say? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, but expecting different results. Right. <laughs> yeah. There you
1: go. <laughs>
2: we go. So many of us are certifiable out there. Yes. So twenty
1: five fifty ones.
2: Oh, it's such a process. It is so, so essential that we have a sense of humor about it, too, though. I really find that is a big piece. Compassion, humor, simplicity, being gentle with the self, yeah. and letting go of what we think was supposed to happen. We have all these ideas of what our life trajectory was supposed to look like. And we're severely limiting ourselves with those ideas now, I think.
0: It's actually something that's so fascinating to me about things like human design and astrology, where, you know, many of us come into life thinking or being told that it's sort of like a clean slate. Like now you just showed up here, now follow these rules, do these things, get these goodies, and you, you'll you have your life. But when you look at something like human design or astrology, you can see for the moment someone's born not only their birth chart, but you can see all their transits for their entire life. You know, you can see all their major cycles for their entire life from day one. Uh-huh. And that's a trip to think about, have this sense that we come to this life and it's like we've already been given something, like we've already been endowed with all whole nature, a whole set of gifts and a whole set of themes and life experiences to go through to get to discover something. And if we deny that from the start by trying to enforce something on life rather than receive it for what it is, we really miss out. And something in us knows that, which is why Mm. at some point we get to these intense moments where it's like, Shit, something else is going on and I need to acknowledge it. Like yes. I need to just stop. I need to just stop the insanity and stop yeah. the stubbornness and stop the vanity and stop the banging my head against the wall. And yeah. maybe there is something else. And yeah. maybe maybe it's better.
2: Yeah, it could be better. I could enjoy it. <laughs> Why not try it? Give it a chance. Right. right brings up a great point because i get a lot of clients well over the years i've gotten many people that just want me to tell them what's going to happen to them mm-hmm. and that's why they go to an astrologer they want some prediction and i've always shied away against a uh, shied away from prediction uh, because of my psychological orientation you know i believe we do have some wiggle room with how things evolve and where i put my attention and But yeah, a lot of now that I what I see that there is sort of a script, you know, and I can either fight the script or I can flow with it. And people typically know when they're out of flow. They're like, "Mm, this is not working for me. What is not working? Mm -hmm. Which is why it's so beautiful that these systems can come in and, and shine a flashlight on the map when they're really lost in the woods. It's like, okay, at least I have a direction. But that person has to walk that direction. We cannot do it for them. And that's another piece that's so why all psychological research is really, it's really confounded with so many different factors you cannot control for. There are so many pieces that come in that motivate people. What actually causes motivation? What, you know, that was always a big deal in school. I remember thinking about that really hard. What makes, what motivates people? people think they have ideas. Oh, this is what helps. And this helps this. And then, but the number one question I get is when is this going to end? (laughs) When is this transit going to end? When are things (laughs) going to get get... on the other side of this? (laughs) Right. You know, when is this going to get better? Well, you coming to me is a great step. You know, that's your first step towards things getting better. Again, back to this empowerment thing, I really want to empower people that when they walk away from a session with me, that they feel they can do this work on their own. They're not at the mercy of Venus retrograde, right? They're not at the mercy of their progressed lunar return. Um, Those are showing you a context of the energies, the archetypal energies that you're working with, um, but how you express them, Um, it's really a conversation and a dance, And it really works as above, so below. It's not as if Venus is exerting this force on us. I mean, you know, theoretically, yes, but to have it just be a model of consciousness on the macro level, it's such a beautiful uh, reflection, that I can say, oh, this is where I'm going to, you know, step to the left and then it steps to the right. And I know I'm speaking kind of vague about this, but we, you know, can take a practical life situation and say, huh, my money seems to be flying out the window recently. I wonder why that is. And then we start looking at where are your values and priorities and Um, where have you maybe invested in things or even paid attention to i love thinking of that with venus it is a currency your attention right your relationships and your money Um, where would have i've been paying attention to that is not um, really serving me or not a true reflection um, of where i'm at and my integrity you know venus has been retrograding capricorn for the last Month and um, the clients I'm seeing have had some very interesting lessons around that, you know, about relationships, maybe um, not um, being, you know, what people are wanting anymore. To you know, the investments or having the ton of time in the day to invest in what they truly love. You know, all these uh, Venus themes are really up right now. So, yeah, it's it's a real interesting art to try to apply the archetypes to someone's. Uh, life, but it does orient them at least. And that's what I want people to walk away with is better orientation and better supported to make uh, more informed choices.
1: Yeah, I think what you're describing kind of gets to the heart of what these systems can do for us as a experimentation or a, a tool. It's basically giving us a map, points of reference that ultimately can allow the mind to relax, to let the passenger just relax and let go, like we're saying. And, you know, maybe that's where that question comes from the client. When is this going to be over? Just give me a point of reference. You know, am I going to be suffering like this for the next, not to make light of it, but to keep a sense of humor for the next, you know, year? Or are we talking five years or six months? Like, if that's the way they're holding it or, you know, working with it, then if they can let go a little bit, relax, just kind of just you know, realize that the experience that they're having now is not going to last the rest of their life and feel that way in the moment, especially if someone is in a deep emotional process and, you know, it's like everything just is so intense and gets really heavy and having an outside point of reference hopefully facilitates some degree of surrender.
2: Yes, absolutely. And pacifying the mind is very powerful. The mind really wants answers, but so much of this work too, I think is about stepping out of attachment, but being the observer. And instead of having an emotional attachment to when this ends, be like, huh, look at that. Look at what I'm going through. Hmm. how interesting, (laughs) I wonder how long this is going to go, or I wonder when I'm going to shift or loving yourself through the process. I mean, I really, I used to work with addictions back in the day at a methadone clinic in East Oakland, California, where I learned this very difficult lesson right at the beginning is that pain only causes more pain, right? When we're punishing people for doing something that they're trying to do to get out of pain, we're only compounding that pain So the more strict we are and shameful with what we're doing and, oh, it shouldn't be like this, the more we're suffering. So people are very, very well served, I believe, to have that posture of self-compassion and self-love. And I know people talk about self-love all the time. And what exactly is that? It really is a form of being gentle with yourself and acknowledging, wow, look at my process, not my process shouldn't be like this. It comes down to that very basic posture or holding of it. And then it's freedom. Then there's some freedom to move. It's not like I'm so stuck in this one box of things should only be this way. And if there aren't, then I have failed, right? We have all kind of punitive language around that, what success is. And, you know, for us manifestors, peace is the new success. So (laughs) that's what I was striving for
1: glad you mentioned that. I, I was wanting to ask you about an experience that you've shared with me about living with some manifestors. This is something that Amy and I have been kind of looking at from a projector standpoint where we've had the opportunity to get in a couple groups that are entirely projectors and to have that shared experience within our type. There's something really interesting that happens in that what seems to be kind of a shared field of resonance where there is kind of a common orientation to how we're moving through the world, how we're relating, how we're interacting. Could you tell us a little bit about your situation and what it's been like for you living with a couple of manifestors?
2: Sure, I'm happy to. I landed in a beautiful situation here. I live with two Costa Rican women who um, have a business here. They have a tiny small restaurant. It's really by reservation only in um, a couple rooms they rent out of the house. And I've been here for, gosh, two years next week. And all three of us are manifestors. And um, they really have become my sisters. You know, we do a lot of, you know, sharing, helping each other with our businesses, learning Spanish, learning English. Something that is so manifestor is one of our favorite topics of conversation is how we can manifest more opportunities. For ourselves, you know, as this town has been shifting with the pandemic, there's been a huge influx of new people coming here and building and communities kind of forming. But it's just interesting to observe that, you know, sometimes one of them will say to me, oh, you know what, you could offer this as a class. And oh, I heard so-and-so is doing this, you should collaborate with them. Oh, really? Yes, this person's doing that. And maybe you should do this. And oh, so-and-so would like spring rolls on their menu. Oh, great. I just have, you know, all these materials for spring rolls, all these things that just kind of naturally come. We are very much about initiating new ideas for each other. And I have to laugh because there's been so many that haven't gone anywhere, but we're a fountain of ideas, you know, and some of them have gone places, which is interesting. And I noticed too, that we give each other a lot of space but granted they're in a partnership and I am living upstairs. And so we, I definitely have a plenty of space here, but it's funny just to see even physically in, in an aura, sense, how we move about the kitchen, giving each other plenty of space, you know, which is very interesting. So yeah. And in our discussions, you know, we all have ideas of how things are. And I've noticed sometimes that I've had to be like, okay i'm I'm okay with you telling me how you think it is, and I'm not going to say, don't tell me what to do or that's not I that's not the way it is for me, but being aware of that potentiality in the for conflict been helpful to where I don't go around telling them you know how they should run their business here or what should be happening. And input, I notice when it's offered in an informing way, you know, is very helpful. And I really appreciate being informed. I make sure to inform them, hey, this is what's happening. I have this client coming today, this time, and everything flows. And I find that a bit of anger has bubbled up in me when something happens that affects me that they haven't told me about. And there's, you know, culturally too, you know, Ticos are a little bit less confrontational. And so oftentimes things won't get spoken to just because, oh, we don't need to go there. And where I'm like, you know, my <laughs> North American neuroses is like, oh, I don't have control and I don't, I don't know what's happening. And it's been a beautiful test for me to allow some looseness around that as well. And sinking into Central American culture, you know, that's been a process of deconditioning as well and amazing to watch, you know, when I first got here about the attachments I had to certain things going a certain way, or, you know, people treating me a certain way, or, you know, having a certain degree of cleanliness or have things happen on time. You know, the mechanic said he's coming for the car. It's at three and he's not here till five. And that's like, that's just how things go. (laughs) And you have to roll with it, Um, which as we know, in the United States is really doesn't work like that. So Yeah, expectations. It's been very interesting to be in a different culture, continuing this deconditioning process. It actually has accelerated it more even because I I believe that if I still was living in North America, that some of those entrenched conditioned, you know, structures, mental structures would be reinforced, continue to be reinforced. So Yeah. It's a more wild, natural place here. The roads are not good. There's lots of bumps. There's lots of dirt. The landscaping is not manicured, which I love. Um, You have to be careful. You know, I found a scorpion in my room on Christmas. You know, these are things that come and go, and you just trust that um, you can cohabitate with them. You know, I was Pachamama, I was living with bats and had some negotiations going on there um, just because there was bat poop everywhere. It's like, you know, this is not going to work for me. And um. eventually that you know <laughs> that's one other thing that I love here is the animals talking to the animals and hanging out with them and um, I really really enjoyed that piece too so yeah cultural conditioning runs very deep and I've been confronted with that um, with the deconstruction of that here which has been quite a gift actually I mean just that
0: experience alone how eye-opening it is mm. you know I think for any of us when you really go into a different culture you go experience a different religion, you go to a completely different region, and then you find out, wow, you get to see how much we're enculturated by wherever we happen to be and how different that can be in other places wow. and in other cultures. Really powerful.
1: I just have to comment on the informing piece that you brought up. This is something I've been watching with, with manifestors. And you're sharing about with your roommates, everyone's kind of offering up their input and seems like there's some nuance in this strategy of informing for manifestors. And I think what can often set up is when the informing is more of a command, there's a difference between commanding or saying you should versus here's what I'm doing. I'm just going to proactively communicate this is what I'm doing because it may affect you in some way. If it's true informing, then a person can kind of take it in and do what they want with it, right? But right. I think what often happens if, if it's, and this may be because there's just some deep, deep genetic programming or something in, in the manifesto design, if it comes across more as a command, what they can often feel is rejection. And mm-hmm. like people are like, or they, people don't respond well to that. It's not received in you know, the way that maybe it was intended. And then the manifestor can shut down or stop the whole process altogether, stop the communication, stop the informing, when rather it's it's not that either or, there's nuance and subtlety in it. You know, what is the frequency of your communication? That's this question about what is the manifestor impact? To have awareness of this is how I'm being received. These are the consequences of my action or my communication. Anyway, that's what comes up for me. And I can just kind of imagine like how interesting that must be to see that dynamic, you know, in a home of three manifestors.
2: Mm -hmm. And to speak to your point, I feel there has to be an emotional neutrality to it where... I'm not attached to how you feel about this. This is, and as an individual, maybe this helps with me. I also have Aries South Node and I'm an only child and <laughs> I, I have this kind of self-contained thing. of like, this is just what I'm doing and you can have your opinion about it. It doesn't matter to me what you think or feel about it, which is not always great for my relationships. You know, it's something that I work on, you know, with my Libra North Node about cooperation and considering the other and Human design has been helpful in that where I've had to make sure that I'm informing in the correct way out of consideration for the other. And not only do I get a better response, but it just the relationship goes more smoothly. So yeah, to have any emotional charge around the informing, I think, sets one up for potential difficulties because if it's truly neutral, it really is just information. It's like objective there's a client coming here at 11 today and we're going to sit in the living room and have our session. That's it. Not like, oh, is it okay if I do this and oh, I'm attached to it? And, you know, and then there's like this, whole oh, okay. And having to give permission thing. And I feel like a kid again. And it's like, no, if I can just be clear, you know, and, and direct about it, that almost invites the other person to do the same, which is, is very effective. Yeah. I think that's a great point.
0: I'm also just
2: noticing from having
0: this whole conversation with you how much it highlights that even with the kind of logic and the detail of these different systems we might be using, that there's still an art to how we transmit it, how we share it, how we support people with it. Mm-hmm. And I think people can probably feel and hear and get a sense of your frequency, your energy, kind of your artistry and how you do it. Mm -hmm. I always like to encourage people to, whether you're looking for a therapist or you're looking for a human design analyst, or you're looking for a counselor or an astrologer, how important it is to check out the frequency of the energy, the style of, of different people you could be working with and trust yourself in exploring who you really feel comfortable with, you know, whose energy you feel at ease with. I think that's really important. Kind of like you're saying, you don't need an added element of resistance or mismatch, you know, with the person who's supposed to be there to, to help you. So I'm really glad that people have gotten to get a sense of your energy and just your style and your frequency. And I think it says a lot. So if people wanted to connect with you, what would be the best way to do that?
2: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I do have a website, Rebecca RebeccaCrane.com, um, R E B E C C A C R A N E. It is always a work in progress perpetually. So, <laughs> uh, but I am also on Facebook and Instagram under Rebecca Crane Astrology. And I try to do maybe some new moon, full moon posts here and there if I can, uh, if my 1222 channel is in the mood, depends on the day. So, <laughs> But yeah, and I'm, I'm branching out into more uh, work again with the plant medicine integration support and the new earth transitional support that uh, I'm really excited to be doing more of. So uh, yeah, people can still reach me through the website as I'm updating it. Yeah, I would happy, be happy to connect and you know, all the information about my sessions is on there. Excellent. Thank you so much, Rebecca. It's been great to get to hear your perspective. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. It was delightful to talk with you and thanks for the opportunity.
0: Thank you for listening to the Human Design Collective podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please review us and share. You can find us at humandesigncollective.com and explore our course and workshop offerings at courses.humandesigncollective.com. Music for the Human Design Collective podcast is courtesy of Anders Parker. For more information, see the show notes and please stay tuned for upcoming episodes on the same channel.